0: We pray, O holy God, for all of the ways in which you are placing in front of us your call to proclaim the good news. May we, in all that we do and say and are, be signs of your kingdom. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Well, we have spent the last several weeks talking about the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. Um, one begins with what we have, and one begins with what we lack. And what we've heard is that focusing on the former opens our thinking to possibility. When you begin with what you have, then it's easy to see what can be done. But getting stuck in scarcity narrows our vision for what is possible. And I think, unfortunately, it has become very common in the church at large to focus on what we don't have. We do it all of the time. And sociologists uh, of all kinds have pointed to a trend of disaffiliation. You know, people of all ages are leaving the church. They call this, among other things, the rise of the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. As in those who, when asked, what is your religious affiliation? Answer, none. One of my favorite sociologists who talks about this is this guy named Ryan Burge. And I appreciate his work because while he is a sociologist at Eastern Illinois University, he's also a pastor. And so I think he gets it a little bit more than just a dry ivory tower intellectual. And in one of his recent books on the rise of the nuns, he talks extensively about two forces that have been active in our world for several decades now. The first is globalization, which he sees as the most forceful impact in American society. But the second, which has risen up at about the same time as globalization is secularism. So the secularism thesis, as he explains, says that as a country grows in educational level and average wealth, religious participation will go down. And this is a theory that originated over 100 years ago with the German sociologist Max Weber. So this trend has already been true in Europe. After a long time, it was believed that the U.S. would avoid this fate. But sometime in the 1990s, decline set in and has been accelerating ever since. We've all heard these numbers, right? Less and less people go to church. In fact, a Gallup poll in 2020 revealed that for the first time, less than half of Americans go to church. From a a sociological perspective, shifts like this can be too big to control. So Burge writes in his book, I think that no matter how effective the church was at evangelism or missions or community service over the past four decades, those efforts would have only been slightly effective at stopping the rise of secularization. The best apologists, the most charismatic speakers, or the catchiest praise and worship bands would not have held secularization at bay. There's no way to know for certain, but it's fair to say that a significant chunk of the increase in the unaffiliated was due to shifts in American culture away from religion. So we all know this story, right? We know the numbers in our own church, down from hundreds to dozens, We know it in our loved ones. Some go to church, many do not, but I think we would assume that not going to church is kind of the norm at this point. And church people talk about this all of the time. And I get it, it's really nerve wracking to be in the church. I see the numbers like the rest of you do. But when I began working on this sermon series and I read up on scarcity thinking, the word that really jumped out to me and that has stuck with me was people in a scarcity mindset tend to hyper-fixate on things. As in, they are unable to focus on anything except what they lack. So I think the church, not just our church, but the church in America, can have trouble focusing on anything outside of what we lack, people. But of course, that is due to a force that is largely outside of our control. You know, Ryan Burge, when he's talking about secularization, he he leans on the serenity prayer, Lord, give me the wisdom to, I'm going to forget it, I knew I was going to forget it, to be able to identify the things that I can control and to know the wisdom of the things that I can and can't control. But what happens when we focus on what we don't have, when we focus on the fact that we don't have the people that we used to have, we get stuck in scarcity thinking. And so we're gonna spend this sermon, and I'm gonna ask you as I preach through this sermon, what if we just for a little bit stopped talking about the decline of the church long enough to look at what we actually have. And as part of that, I want to talk about a vision that the executive committee has been working on that relates to all the many conversations we've had over the last four or five years about vision in this place. But first, we're going to listen to a passage about the early church, about the abundance they found in the midst of scarcity. So let's listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he who scatters abroad, he gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your partnership with them and with all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Well, may God bless this reading. Well, as we've talked about abundance and scarcity, we've talked a lot about the early church. And it is really difficult to imagine a time when resources were scarcer than at the time when the church was just coming into being. You know, the story we tend to tell is that Christianity grew rapidly in the Roman Empire, but historians actually know that it never really grew rapidly. That when you look at it over a course of a 300 year period, yes. It spread far and wide, but when you zoom in, it was much slower going. And in those early years, it was small, meeting in people's homes or the catacombs below the city of Rome. And what seems to have carried that early church was their generosity. They shared what they had. They knew that with their combined generosity and with the good work of God, that there would always be enough. Maybe their coffers wouldn't overflow, but they knew God would make a way. And so you can see this in this passage for today. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I do want to point out Paul has some ulterior motives here. You see, Paul is sending some people to this church in Corinth to collect their offerings. And he wants to make sure that they've put it in a nice envelope with a bow on it. And he's hoping that they will provide a good gift. But this is kind of how things worked in the early church. Individual congregations, small as they would, were, would collect offerings. And that money would go to the church in Jerusalem, or it would go to other congregations in need, or it would go to missions and missionaries. And in this situation, their thinking had to be about abundance, not whether they had enough, but whether God could use what they did have. The early church lived out of a generosity that believed if we give and share what we have, we will have enough. And in fact, the early church became known as a generous institution. One of the things that really led to the spread of Christianity was its care of the poor. You know, the early church took very seriously God's call to care for the least of these, and they did it. They provided food and shelter, they provided burial rites, they provided a sense of belonging for those who didn't belong. And it's actually that generosity that led to more and more people joining the movement Because the generous spirit of Christianity, the the desire to care and give for their neighbors, that was enough of a contrast with the Roman Empire that didn't really do very much of that work. That people wanted to be a part of this movement, this alternative. And eventually people joined in. And it all goes back to the fact that they had an abundant thinking, mindset, because they knew God would provide. They were able to give freely and generously, knowing that as long as they were doing the work of God, there would be enough. As long as they were following the call, there would be enough. You know, as a church, I think we have been trying to switch our thinking from scarcity to abundance Um, I didn't really realize this until I started this series. But as we've had our vision conversations over the last several years, we've been talking about what we have, right? Who are we as a church? What do we care about? It's all just another way of asking, what do we have? Not just resources, but passions. What do we care about, Earlier this year, we had an executive committee meeting where, where our thinking about First Christian Church shifted in a pretty radical way. And the meeting went something like this We had a frank conversation about whether or not these vision talks were working. Were they going anywhere? Were we stuck? Were we going in circles? And if you've ever been to a church meeting, nothing can go in circles quite like a church meeting. But somewhere in the midst of that meeting, somebody brought up Jubilee Christmas. I think Jubilee Christmas is a program that this church prides itself on. We help provide Christmas for 30 families a year. And somebody brought up that it was really the last major program that we started that we were all proud of. And then somebody made the quip, well, we could just do Jubilee Christmas all the time, 12 months a year. I can already see Gay looking at me like... You're kidding, right? And of course, that's where the conversation went. We don't have the resources to do Jubilee Christmas 12 months a year. We don't have the money or the programs to sustain something like that. But someone said in response, all we're really called to do is care for people. That's why Jubilee is such a powerful program. So what do we have to do that? And suddenly in that moment, somebody had done it. They had asked the abundance question. I didn't even know the language of that moment. Not what don't we have. What do we have? So what are we passionate about as a church? We are passionate about caring for our neighbors. It's come up in all these conversations over the years. Everything from the mitten tree to Jubilee to the food resource bank programs that care for our neighbors, both local and globally. Even when you think about the community in this place, the members, you think about funeral dinners provided for grieving families and for prayer circles for folks who are sick. Last fall, when we were having the values conversation, it kept coming up. We are a community that values compassion. We see a need and we do something about it. And it's come up in this church's dedication to working with Lafayette Transitional Housing and Food Finders. So the question is, what if rather than say, well, we don't have the money to do Jubilee all year, we said that we were going to use what we had to care for our neighbors. And for the executive committee, it suddenly became clear that that is the vision. That is what expresses who we are as a church, what we are called to do in the world. We are called to give what we have to care for our neighbors. That's it. So what do we have? There are less people here than there used to be. But in the midst of that, what do we have? We have meaningful relationships. Folks pray for one another. Folks know one another. Folks care for one another. We have a building that's been maintained by decades of good stewardship. Individuals have put in time and energy to make this place as nice as the day it opened. We're passionate. We like to serve. It's funny, when you have Jubilee every December, we see people who come for Jubilee who don't come to anything else at church, but they want to serve people. We have a history and legacy of caring for people, from funeral dinners to Jubilee Christmas. We have a congregation who has been generous throughout the years, who always wants to support folks in our community. And you can see this in our region-wide giving, where we are often in the top 10 of congregations for giving to missions. We have a faith that knows that with God, all things are possible, that if we give freely, God will provide. So would any of that be useful for fulfilling God's desire that we care for our neighbors? Would any of that help us reach out into our community and have a positive effect on people's lives? Would any of this lead us to take a bold step towards committing ourselves towards a love for all God's children? We begin with our passion for caring for folks. And then rather than get bogged down in what we don't have, we instead ask the question, what do we have? And it worked for the early church. It was good enough for them, it's good enough for us trust me, those communities had less people and less money than we have and they had much less building and yet they knew that through God all things were possible through the redemptive work of Jesus they knew that each person was more than enough and through the continued work of generosity and stewardship and compassion of the church we know that we are enough that we have the resources. You know, at the end of Ryan Burge's book on on the disaffiliated, he tells the story of his fledgling church. Um, His church in Illinois is down to about 20 on a Sunday. But he talks about this small church's mission in the community. They recognized a need for a backpack ministry. And so Burge says that someone found out that kids in school who have free or reduced lunch during the week don't on the weekends. And so the church started preparing backpacks with food in them. So this church of 20 people would prepare 200 backpacks on a Friday to hand out to kids who were going home. In In each bag, they would put a little bit of information about the church just to say, hey, we're this church and we're trying to help But one day, Burge says that the church office got a call because somebody had seen a card in their grandson's backpack. And the kid's grandma says, said, well, my grandson needs clothes. We don't have enough money to buy any. Can you help out? And it just so happened that their church was having a rummage sale that weekend. And so they invited the family, the grandmother and the grandson down to the church and said, take whatever you want and they left with two armfuls of clothes that day. And so for Burge, in a world where disaffiliation from the church can't really be controlled, this is what can be controlled. He writes this, Here's what I know. They left the church that day knowing that they were born in the image and likeness of God, and that people who they had never met cared deeply about them. And when that young man is sitting around as an adult one day talking about spiritual things, he might have some bad things to say about the church. But I hope that when he tells his story of faith, he at least makes mention of the one time when he needed help and a church came to his rescue. That young man's story of faith will be just a little bit different because of what our little church did for him. So here's the thing we are enough together with what we have. Probably not to be the church of the mid-20th century, but there are very few churches that have that ability at this point. But we have way more than enough to do the work of God, especially if we put our energies towards God's purposes. And we know, we know that if our purposes in ministry line up with God's desire for our community, then we we will always be enough. In fact, we know if we do that, we will be more than enough through the God who strengthens us and calls us and makes a way. Amen. As we gather for worship, we invite you to connect with us. We are a church who is seeking to follow God in the community. And so if you are worshiping with us for the first time, whether online or in person, uh, if you're here, stop me on the way out um, or stay for lunch even. If you're online, drop a note. We would love to know more about what brought you to our community. Brothers and sisters.